You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind those lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Now, this hour, I have two guests for you um, and... As happens seemingly with many shows, there's a weird kind of zeitgeist element to this one as well. Both of my guests, just by happenstance, are Australian writers whose work and lives have been influenced by their time in New York. And, you know, in one in particular, this comes uh, into sort of real being in the book, uh, New York, as it so often is, is uh, very much alive and a character that plays out in the pages. Uh, but uh, another writer that I'll be talking about later in the hour is uh, New York-based Australian writer Madeline Lucas. She's the winner of this year's prestigious Australian book review Elizabeth Jolly Prize. Uh, it's a short story prize and uh, Madeline has written a beautiful story, Ruins, uh, which she wrote while living in Brooklyn, but it's uh, very much set uh, in Australia. It's sort of a really interesting thing, those pieces of writing that, that people do in, um, in absentia, the, the way those kind of places that they're no longer in bubble up in their minds uh, when they're somewhere else and that always creates something of a sense of melancholy and definitely ruins has that element in it. I spoke to Madeline on the phone from her home in Brooklyn to talk about this story and I'll be playing that interview for you later on but very soon Alice Nelson um, will be in to discuss her beautiful lyrical novel The Children's House. It's already earning her comparisons to Kong Toibin's Brooklyn and I think they're fair comparisons. She does have that real sense of a kind of almost preternatural ability to get under the skin of her characters. They feel very real and there's a lyricism to the writing that I also very much find in Toibin's work. She also has a very firm sense of place, again, that... Uh, never-ending canvas that we find in literature and film. New York City plays a big role in this novel. Uh, But it's also very much a novel that explores the severed relationships between mothers and children in a very quietly powerful way. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. This is Triple R. The show is Backstory. I'm Mel Cranenberg. The Children's House is a beautifully crafted novel that picks up the threads of severed maternal relationships. Wound into this is the story of a young Rwandan refugee, Constance. She's unable to love the child that she's been forced to carry. There's also a writer and academic, Marina, who spent her early life on a kibbutz in the eponymous children's house, far both metaphorically and literally from her mother, Gisla. Then there's Jacob, her gentle, loving psychiatrist husband, and her stepson, Ben, who has started to remove himself from life, still present but disturbingly absent. 
It's a, a really lovely book in so many ways. There's a there's an aching and a, a melancholy to it that uh, that is undeniable. And joining me to talk about this book and the scenes behind it is its author, Alice Nelson. Alice, welcome to Backstory. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, I really, you know, I think one of the themes that I raised uh, earlier in the show, and and it's not directly I guess what you address in the book this book which is really severed maternal relationships and I want to talk a lot about that but I was I was kind of thinking about people writing about places in absentia and we often think about expats writing about the place they're from but I very much felt like uh, the way you framed New York in this book is is kind of has a melancholy to it did you start writing this book here or when you were actually in the U.S.? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I started the book just after I'd come back from the US. So it does have an elegiac tone because I was dreadfully homesick for New York. I'd lived there for several years. I was trying to readjust to living in Perth after living in Manhattan, which was a bit of a cultural jump. And I missed the streets of Harlem hugely. So I started writing about them. And yeah, I suppose that was kind of tinged by nostalgia and longing and you know my my missing of my my home in New York so yeah absolutely there's a a bit of an elegiac tone to the rendering of Harlem there. Yeah very much so. So let me talk to you about where the themes in this book came from. It is really it's a beautifully written book you've you know the characters aren't thin they they're many layered and the the tone the language is you know, lyrical is how it's been described and I, I always feel like that's a little bit of a flip way to talk about something. But I think when, you know, words are sort of, you know, seamlessly kind of um, verging into one another so they create a mood, there's, you know, little other way to describe it except to use a musical term. But, you know, really you've you've wound in this this real sensibility of trauma, of loss, but very particularly uh, the loss of a mother, uh, particularly uh, in childhood. Can you talk about that and talk about why you chose to address this particular topic? Yeah, look, it's. I think that the maternal bond is just endlessly fascinating because everyone has had a mother or longed for a mother or wanted a different mother or wanted to be a mother or been a mother. Um, I think that it's it's one of those topics that's just inexhaustible, so uh, an extraordinary thing to write about. I guess in terms of writing about that severing that you talked about of maternal bonds, which can have such terrible consequences, I've worked a lot with, with refugees and asylum seekers and Holocaust survivors, so been exposed to a lot of people and a lot of children who have lost their mothers or whose mothers have not been able to attached to them or care for them or love them in the usual ways because of often circumstances that are beyond their control. So I suppose it's it's preoccupied me a lot over the years, that notion of what happens when the maternal relationship is flawed or absent or dysfunctional and how do how do you write yourself in the world in the absence of that most primal and important of connections? It's really, I think, um, quite telling that you chose to enter this story through the eyes of, of Constance originally, uh, who is the uh, refugee from Rwanda who has a child that one, you know, 
early on suspects is the child of a you know, a violent attack upon her um, because she is unable to connect with this with this baby. And you really do get uh, a sense of, you know, her being someone who's traumatised um, and having some genuine reasons for a lack of connection. So you're sort of starting from a very empathetic viewpoint of someone who doesn't love a child, um, but also you're very much getting the aching sense of that child longing for its parent uh, it's a really amazingly powerful element how did you kind of uh, create this particular character because that uh, that can't have been easy it really was she feels very real and and that scenario is you know is really heartbreaking Thanks, Mel. I'm really glad that you you have that empathy for Constance because that's really what I wanted the reader to have you know I think that there's such demonization of women who fail as mothers or who don't love their children or who fail them or abandon them and you know obviously that's a a terrible act but for some women you know there really are complex and profound reasons why they can't parent and you know for Constance she's she's survived the genocide her child has been conceived in the most awful of circumstances and she's trying to navigate this new life in New York and she can't attach to her child and I think that as the book unfolds, I hope that the reader absorbs a little bit of understanding of, of why that is so for Constance and understands that she's not a terrible person and she hasn't chosen to just be unkind to her child. It stems from this deep trauma and, you know, in her own way, she does try to do what is best for him and that's something I was very conscious of wanting. It's a very, it's a difficult line to tread because her, her behaviour to him is is heartbreaking and he's a little baby that's just desperate for love. So I I wanted to make it clear to the reader that she wasn't someone to be reviled for her actions. Mm. Now, we've just dropped the listeners straight into this book without very much uh, preamble about, the about I guess, the plot uh, that, that you've built. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what's at the heart of this book? Because there's an intersection between these lives uh, that we've described. Yeah, look, the, I think that um, for me, the heart of the book is this very complicated relationship that forms between Constance, who's the Rwandan woman, and Marina, who is, you know, a middle-class, educated, white, Jewish woman living in Manhattan, who meets Constance and her little child on the street one day, and she becomes very involved in their lives, and in particular, she she feels for this little child who reminds her of herself and she herself was an unloved child. So this very complex, tricky relationship between these two women who are, you know, wildly different, but they have this common currency, which is a little boy. And Marina falls very deeply in love with this child. She doesn't have her own, she's a stepson, but she doesn't have her own children. And she becomes very attached to the little boy. And I think for me, the rest of the novel really revolves around that complicated triangle of two mothers and one child and the way that unfolds and the repercussions of Marina's involvement in their lives has for everyone in the book. Uh, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm uh, Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author Alice Nelson about her really quite beautiful and at times confronting book uh the children's house uh 
this is, you know, there are no easy answers in this book and you've sort of created this, um, you know, real insight into a, a cultural milieu. Marina and her husband are obviously upper middle class. They they have money, they have position. Um, you know, you're not kind of, you're very much showing all the elements of that in the book and that's very much in stark contrast to Constance and her experience of things. But you really do, this is a book of interiors, very much uh, you are in the minds of all of the protagonists uh, at all times, you are deep in their perspective. I think writing in that way has a very uh, particular effect on the reader because you kind of are immediately put inside yourself. Uh, You get a sense of of kind of disconnectedness or this the sense that you're connected to individual characters while reading but they are somehow disconnected from every other character can you talk a little bit about that because I found that a you know this is it is a book that I really enjoyed reading for that reason because you know you were communing with another mind but I did get that sense of loneliness um that that it, it evoked yeah, that's so interesting because I really, um, it's a book where I really struggled to decide on the perspective to tell it from. I, I experimented with first person, I stepped back into a more sort of omniscient third person, but yeah, in the end I decided that that sort of inhabiting that you're talking about of different characters' perspective was really important to get a sense of um, the concerns of the book. And I think for me, Marina is the one you know, who we mostly see the unfolding story through her eyes, but then the narrative does shift around into other characters. And in terms of the disconnection, yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on because while these characters are wanting connection and struggling to find love and belonging and home in the world, there is very much this sense that um, some gaps are too big to bridge and that some people have to walk their path alone and particularly for Constance the Rwandan woman I think that is her fate that she is surrounded by people who in different ways try to help her and understand her but she's not able to to form loving connections something inside her has been damaged so deeply that she has lost her trust in in human nature really and it's a, a deep sadness of the book and and of life. Mm. I think uh, the relationship between Marina and her husband uh, is an interesting one because it's described so lovingly there. They obviously, um, certainly when you you first meet them, you get this sense of a strong bond. But I also, I I think, um, particularly because Marina was an abandoned child, you get this sense of her, you know, um, I guess constantly trying to reach to, to have a greater understanding or a greater sense of you know, of this marvel that she suddenly finds herself with, you know, in a loving family with a loving partner. Um, I think that more than anything, for some reason, made me feel that she was so distanced from the other characters that actually, even while close to people, you're far away. And I guess Ben, the stepson, is the very best metaphor for this. Uh, He retreats from the world, but in the strangest way, he drops out of college, he breaks up with his long-term girlfriend, he moves back home and then starts just absenting himself from everything and everyone. Talk to me about Ben's character and what's going on with um, with this particular character and what he exemplifies for you. 
Yeah, look, I think that one of the things I'm really fascinated in, it comes out in different ways in the book, is what are the lifelong repercussions for children who have had absent mothers or have had mothers who haven't been able to give them the things they needed? And Ben, who is a, um, you know, he's a young adult um, at the time of the book, was also abandoned by his mother as a very small child. And although he had a loving father and then a stepmother, Marina, um, I think that there are some wounds that fester. And even when people appear to be doing well, you know, Ben, ben was in college, he was successful, he was seemingly well-adjusted. I think for a lot of people there does t- come a time of reckoning when you have to face up to wounds that run very deep. And for Ben... For me, that was a kind of grappling with this sense of abandonment that his mother had had chosen to leave him and um, in his case she left for another man but it's different for all the children in the book. So while it's not kind of explicitly clarified as to what's driving this deep sadness in him that does force him to, yeah, to absent himself from the world and to step back from life, for me I think it's this kind of... Um, trying to come to terms with that grief and loss of his childhood, which up until the present day of the book, I don't think he's really, really processed. Mm-hmm. There's one character who's guilty of abandon, abandoning, I guess, um, that is less empathetic uh, than Constance. Let's talk about uh, Ben's mother because I did feel she got something of an unfair rap in the book. She's um, She seems to be quite a, a shallow individual in, in her original sort of painting in a way because you see her through the eyes of her I guess um of Marina who um has married her ex-husband uh talk a little bit about that because I guess she sort of felt almost like the archetype of of the abandoning mother we have Constance who's an empathetic character in the sense that you really understand why she is making the decisions she's making um out of deep trauma um you see the children that have been abandoned but then you get this sense of how society condemns women who make choices that forever i guess men fathers have made yeah absolutely and look it's interesting because everyone hates lenny who's the the mother who left ben and i i didn't really want that to happen you know i think that she was incredibly young when she married. She was very inexperienced. She was very immature. She got swept up into this marriage and soon had a child. And she just wasn't up to the task. She didn't know how to parent. She didn't have a support network. Um, she wasn't able to create a community around herself um, that could give her some help. And it's really hard. I think, you know, she was at home alone with this small baby. Her husband was working long hours and she found it incredibly difficult and she was possibly just too young to be a mother. But I suppose in the book, you know, everything is partial and we only see Lenny through the eyes of people who have judged her fairly harshly. And certainly her behaviour did cause a lot of pain and suffering for, for Jacob and for her son Ben. I guess perhaps it's another book, you know, yeah. Lenny's, Lenny's yeah. perspective and how she would tell that story and mm. her reasons for leaving and the way that she she reckoned with leaving because, you know, she does come back and I think that's mm-hmm. that's a huge thing. I do. I like her inclusion in the sense that it kind of raises questions about the, the validity of 
you know, the entire validity of Marina's perspective as well because you sort of think she can't have been all bad and it can't have been as simple as that. And also some of the descriptions of, you know, how her sister-in-law used to educate her (laughs) about, um, you know, Jewish history, for example. Mm -hmm. I just thought, look, you know, and then she mocks her and so it leads to um, her and her husband no longer going to Friday night dinner, which is a a hugely important thing to him and his family. I sort of thought, you know, I can also empathise with her perspective there that maybe um, her sister-in-law is kind of slightly insufferable actually uh, from her perspective uh, because they don't have similar personalities um, and she wants to do other things. She wants to be young. She wants to experience life. So I, I thought it was great because I think, you know, those you, you can, when you're in the perspective of a, a particular character, see their worldview as, you know, as sound. And I think particularly when we're dealing with something as tricky and complex as, you know, as maybe a, a mother abandoning their child, uh, which is so harshly judged by society in a way that I guess a father doing it is just, you know, mm. kind of accepted. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about that as well because there, there is that big absence in this book which is that, um, that this is about mothers. The fathers, with the exception of, I guess, Jacob, uh, are not present really in, in many ways and yet that is not the theme. What's going on there? Yeah, look, you know, I guess for me, um, my concern in this book was absolutely mothers and it was about absent mothers, um, impaired mothers, lost mothers, the search for mothers. I suppose when I was writing it, you know, fathers didn't really figure in my consciousness and you're you're right, there is only one father in the novel. They're all either missing or dead or or absent. but it, it's interesting that several men who have read the book have have said to me, oh, it's so interesting the way you write about fathers and fathers' roles and the ways that fathers respond to difficult situations and difficult children. Um, so I guess it's that thing that people, you know, Stendhal says that a, a novel is a mirror walking down the road. I guess mm-hmm. it's that thing that you take away from it um, what you need to and what's important to you. But but no, you're absolutely right. For me, it was a book about mothers. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Alice, for this book. It's, it is really, you know, there's a, a lot of, of complicated themes that are running through this. I don't think you condemn the, the mothers in the book, but I think that the damage that's done by the lack of that bond is evident. And I think that that is explored in a really beautiful way, uh, it's heartbreaking, uh, but also I was entirely absorbed in the writing of this book. I think um, I feel as though you have, as Com Toibin does, that short story writer's sensibility uh, and ability to kind of dive into a perspective, not give too much away, but extend that for the length of a, of a novel somehow. Um, did, did, is that where your practice came from? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that it, it spoke to you like that. And absolutely, I did start off with short fiction and I love writing a short story I find them very difficult because you've got to contain a whole world in such a short space. But yeah, I think, you know, absolutely there are lots of different strands and stories in the novel um, and having written short fiction certainly stood me in good stead 
for that, the bigger challenge was then finding a way to weave them all together in a way that felt cohesive and felt organic for the reader. So that was a structural challenge. But yeah, I think having that ability to inhabit different perspectives and different stories was really important for this book. That's great. Um, Alison Nelson, thank you so much for joining us on Backstory. Thank you. Uh, that was Alison Nelson, the author of The Children's House, which is out now through Vintage Books. I very much recommend it, uh, especially for fans of the likes of Com Toibin. Uh, it's a, a really beautiful book. Uh, up next, we will be talking to uh, Madeline Lucas, uh, who is the Australian writer based in Brooklyn who was the winner of the Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize for her story ruins uh, it is apparently uh, madeline's first radio interview so i'm very lucky and pleased to be able to play that for you three triple ah. You're listening to Backstory on 3 RRR. Now, earlier in the week, I spoke with writer Madeline Lucas. She is uh, based in Brooklyn, an Australian writer, and she authored the Elizabeth Jolly Prize-winning short story, Ruins. Uh, I managed to catch up with her uh, over the phone and talked about the craft of short story writing, her experiences in her creative writing uh, master's course, um, where she's going to take her characters and writing from here as well. Uh, The audio quality is a tiny little bit grainy at times, but please bear with it. This is a discussion very much worth hearing. So it's great to talk to you uh, over there in New York, uh, where you're studying, I understand, uh, a master's in writing. Is that right? That's right, yep. So I moved over here about three years ago to do my Master's of Fine Arts in um, Creative Writing at the Fiction Program of Columbia University. Wow. So tell me a little bit about um, you know your writing practice because I really do want to get deep into this notion of, you know, I guess a lot of people seem to think that short story writing is warming up for a longer piece of fiction, but actually it's a really tightly wound thing of its own uh, that I can really feel when I read your Elizabeth Jolly award-winning piece, Ruins. Uh, It's so much is in it. It kind of feels like there's a universe contained in a tiny box. Um, So I want to talk to you a bit about that. But but talk to me about what you're studying at the moment over um, at Columbia. Well, I started the program, um, yeah, about three years ago. And the first two years of that was primarily doing kind of coursework and different literature classes. And then a really big part of the American program is doing the classic workshop, um, where basically you sit around in a small group of people led by one professor and you read and critique each other's work. Um, So that was a pretty new experience that I'd never really had before coming over here. Um, And I did that for about two years. And now I'm at the stage where I'm just developing my work on my own and preparing to turn in my thesis. Okay. And what is your thesis about? Well, I think my thesis is going to be, um, I'm working towards a novel, so it will be part of that manuscript, um, which kind of explores similar themes to my story, Ruins, that um, you read as the Jolie Prize. Absolutely. Well, I do want to get into the story that you've written. Talk about where it came from. 
A lot of what I write in my fiction is based on kind of a blurry combination of real-life experience, um, memories, particularly things that you've misremembered um, or can't quite remember. I find that to be really rich, imaginative territory, kind of trying to fill in the blanks of your own experience. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of my work is kind of semi-autobiographical, I guess, in that way. Um, but I'm also really interested in kind of like the stories we tell about ourselves and our families and where we come from and how, you know, within individual families, these stories become our personal myths um, and a way of understanding ourselves. So I guess that's where that side of things came from. Um, but also, honestly, like living in America for three years, I get really homesick. Um, and so... I feel like since I've lived here, my work has become a lot more self-consciously Australian because I think about it as my way of sort of writing myself back home, um, especially, you know, writing about the ocean and the beach and the bush in the middle of uh, winter when it's snowing here outside. Um, I feel like a distance uh, can give you a really interesting perspective in that way. Can you talk a bit about what the story is about in your words? So the story is about a young woman in her early 20s who goes uh, down south. Um, she's from the city originally, and she goes down south on holidays with her mother. And while she's down there, she has a kind of spontaneous um, affair with an older man. And he's a local, and she's an outsider. So they have that dynamic as well as this age gap. Um, and in this uh and in this story, she's going to visit the ruins of an old lighthouse with her mother. Um, and on the way, they talk about love and other kinds of ruin. It's a sort of interesting piece to read because I can remember um, myself being a young person uh, and Elizabeth Jolly doing a talk on how she creates her fiction. And she sort of began this talk by reading a diary entry about an experience she had with a neighbour. And then she read the the piece that she kind of wound out of it and I thought a lot about that when I was reading your your work because there's so much packed into this there's there's something about the craft of this writing that feels like um, I guess the literature that I grew up on there's a real richness to it without you know while it's still contemporary in its subject matter where did you kind of draw your inspirations from for this style of writing um, oh, wow, that's such a rich question. I feel like um, influence comes from all over, really. Um, I guess, to me, something that has been um, really helpful being over here is studying, like, the American traditions of short story writing. And I felt like when I was starting out, I really drew a lot from people like Amy Hempel and Raymond Carver um, in terms of just saying what needs to be said and leaving the reader to really kind of fill in a lot of the blanks and, yeah, just really kind of um, capturing the bare bones of an experience. Um, but at the same time, as, as my writing developed, I got really interested in particularly writing about memory and place, which is so rich, particularly in Australian context. Um, so another writer that's really influenced me in the last year, um, American again, but um, Annie Prue, because she writes so much about landscape and isolated places, particularly the shipping news, was something that I discovered last year and kind of really changed the way that I think about writing. Um, another writer that I was really excited by was 
Emma McBride, um, an Irish writer um, who does a lot of really interesting work with dialogue. And when I read her, I kind of understood the way that dialogue could be a kind of gesture um, rather than just speech. And that really triggered something for me as well in a really productive way. Um, so I guess to me, it's like drawing influences really from all over from my experiences, travels and study, and then trying to import them back into an Australian context and seeing how that pressure can change the way that I articulate, you know, the places that are familiar to me or, or maybe makes me see them in a different way. It's interesting you brought up Emma McBride. I found um, a girl is a half form thing really uh, by breaking language, it's almost like it pierces through to you uh, in a way that I think sometimes we get into these rhythms with reading where, it, you know, we feel like we're sort of moving along with the text rather than actually being affected by it. Um, and I think it's it's interesting to work out ways of cracking the skin of the reader. Um, I think you've done that. And I've been kind of going through to to think about why this is such a this is a piece that evokes such an ache. Um, I think when you read it, it really, perhaps um, you've managed to wind in that sense of homesickness uh, without mm. really um, overtly gesturing to it. Um, but there's a lot of clues in here, I guess. You know, there's uh, being attracted to the isolated man, I guess, um, for a, mm. a unique, a kind of lonely encounter. Um, there's this notion that um, the mother in the piece uh, has kind of escaped uh, a somewhat um, darker experience of relationships um, and mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that there's this attraction. I think at one stage um, the the young character, the protagonist sort of um, describes kind of uh, the the constant sort of thinking about her older lover as kind of a bruise, which I thought was a really interesting metaphor for that. Um, what, are we, what are you winding in here with, uh, with these kind of ideas? Well, I feel like um, in an Australian context, you know, whenever we talk about landscape and particularly the bush, um, that's always a history that's coded in the way that we think about traditional ideas of masculinity and femininity, wildness and tenderness, um, being inside or outside. And, you know, in these traditions, it's like the men that go into the bush and they seek to tame the land, control the land, claim the land. Um, But at the same time, I feel like Um, there's a real kind of kinship between women and wilderness or places that are more maybe out of bounds and wanting to take those risks is something that I'm interested in exploring. Um, So this is, I guess, uh, what I'm thinking about a lot is like how do our relationships with places or our relationship with animals, for example, how can that show us um, the way that we are tough or tender, um, the way that we are loving or cruel? And that was something that I was trying to build in um, throughout the piece with, you know, the references of um, the grandmother, you know, killing a wallaby um, that was half dead on the side of the road because that's the more generous thing to do. Um, Yeah, and and the ways that we learn that from a really young age, that's uh, the character, the main character in the story, that's her mother's first memory. Yeah, and the plot. And how all these things, yeah, influence us later on in life. 
Yeah, and the plaque that reminds us that the the land on all, on which all of this plays out was stolen. Um, so under the bones of this story is another story or layers of stories of the people that we don't see in the frame. And I think that, Absolutely. that kind of element, I, it's really bubbling up in a lot of Australian writing, I think, about the landscape, is that this is the unavoidable crime beneath everything yeah. here. I think that definitely influences the experience of this this piece. Absolutely. And that to me, that's something um, that's really important to have, you know, always in the background, if not more explicitly in the foreground, is the way that violence has always, in a, you know, contemporary Australian context, um, really been played out on the stage of the landscape. Um, to me, Australia is a very haunted place in that way. And, you know, when I'm talking about ideas of masculinity and femininity, I'm also thinking about all the kind of traditional Australian literature that I was taught in school and actually really avoided for a long time because it seemed so European and so male um, to me. I didn't know how I could uh, write about my experience within that kind of tradition. Um, So I guess that's something that I'm interested in exploring is like, what are the other stories that we haven't learned that get played out on this landscape or, yeah, in this environment. If you've just joined us, you're listening to 3RRR's Backstory. Uh, I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to Madeline Lucas, who's the author of Ruins, uh, the winner of the Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize. Uh, Madeline, I do want to talk a bit more about the craft of writing short stories as opposed to a longer work of fiction. You are writing a longer piece of fiction, but there is this sense, uh, obviously, that, you know, out there that this is kind of a warm-up act, I guess, for a bigger a bigger work. But it is a unique form, the short story, and it has its own kind of requirements and conventions. The thing I'm always left absolutely stunned uh, by in a very good short story like yours that's so tightly wound that there is no, there's nothing spare in here, is how you've managed to kind of really um, gesture towards what isn't on the page. And that is always the fascinating element of the short story where I kind of want to feel beyond the boundaries of what you've given um, to find what else is there and, and it's always rich. Uh, can you can you talk about how you go about writing this? Is it about what you're cutting out as much as what you're leaving in? It's a really tricky balance, to be honest. And I was writing um, short fiction all through graduate school uh, where generally most people were working on novels or longer pieces and the feedback I got time and time again by my classmates was, we just want to know more about this character or I just want to know what happened, you know, when they were younger and it was always about wanting more. And I went in at some point and was revising work and I tried to fill in all those questions that hadn't been answered. And I really learned the hard way that trying to do that can take away or really strangle a lot of the mystery out of something. Um, So I think with a short story, you're really walking the line between like um, what is unknown here and where's the mystery and where do I need to be more explicit? And it's, it's not always easy to get that balance right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I have cert- certainly referenced this before on this show, but I always think of that, the Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway kind of um, comment about digging these beautiful little caves behind your characters um, so mm, that they've got... beautiful. 
Yeah, so they've got this kind of sense of something behind them without you necessarily seeing what's there. And I think a cave's a really nice metaphor for that because, you know, really we do get this portentous element um, without having to go in. There's something deep in our in our brains um, that tells us that something's there. I guess that's sort of what you've managed to do in this piece. So, Madeline, uh, where to from now? It sounds like you are working on a novel. Is that something that is fairly close to completion? Um, well, it's always a little hard to say, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm about halfway through right now and definitely winning the Jolies put a lot of wind in my sails um, and I feel so encouraged by it the extremely generous responses from the judges and also from all the people who have contacted me about reading the story. So one of the nicest things about um, the prize has just been the honest encouragement to kind of keep persevering. Um, and, you know, that's it, that feels nice to be able to share that with someone because often writing feels very solitary. Um, but when I was working on Ruins, and this kind of feeds into what you were saying about caves behind characters... Um, I was actually working on a series of connected short stories that were all about these same characters. So for, at that point, the challenge was how do I know what information belongs in what story? Um, and eventually I got to the stage where I felt like I was tying all these pieces up into tiny little boxes and trying to keep them separate. So I'm actually working on expanding um, these stories into a larger piece so featuring the same characters in my story ruins oh well i really look forward to spending more time with these characters <laughs> thank you so much madeline lucas uh, congratulations on your win and thank you so much for joining us on backstory so that was uh, Madeline Lucas, the author of the Elizabeth Jolly award-winning short story, Ruins. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Sorry for the poor sound quality, but, uh, you know, definitely an interview worth playing. Three, triple, ah. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.